Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, we're thinking a little bit about the cost of jumping in and uh, what that might look like in a personal way. So this is going to be kind of a personal conversation today. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the opposition to the jump, and I think that has more to do with what's going on around us out there. Uh, But today as we talk about cost, that's much more personal than what's going on in here. And when you choose kingdom life and kingdom values and kingdom work, there is a cost attached to that. And I grew up in the church hearing a message, whether that was the message that was being spoken or just what I chose to hear, but I grew up hearing a message in which if I did what God wanted, that my life was going to go well, that everything was going to work out, that I was going to live in peace and harmony and all of the good things were going to happen. Anybody else get that impression when you were growing up? And that's not exactly how it's all turned out. Turns out life is maybe more challenging than that, and that there is a specific kind of cost involved, and that we're supposed to be prepared for that in some way. Everybody doing okay? Doing well? (laughs) Good. Uh, (laughs) Glad to have you, all the folks joining us uh, on uh, Facebook Live this morning, and uh, we think of our congregation as those who gather here and those who gather there, and... and, uh, when I was young, I, uh, I memorized some passages of Scripture out of Isaiah 40. In fact, for a long time, I would have said, these are my life verses, um, and, uh, and continue to be a part of those, and uh, meant a lot to me. And, I, and when I first memorized them, I memorized chapter 40, verses 28 through 31, because I like them. And then someone said to me one time, have you read verse 27? And it's like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Went back and read it, and then I decided, yeah, it would probably be included in the group. And it goes like this. Have you, why do you say, O Jacob, or complain, O Israel, my way is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither does he grow weary? There is no end to his understanding. He gives power to the weak, and he gives strength to the weary. Even the youth will faint and grow weary, and the young men will stumble and fall. But those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. And when I think about that passage of Scripture, and I think about those opening words, and I think about, you know, why do you say, O Israel, and complain, O Jacob, that God doesn't see you and doesn't get it and doesn't understand I I, I like that because I find myself sometimes saying to God, I don't think you see me. I don't think you get it. I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand what's happening in this journey inside of me. We talked a couple of weeks ago about what is right and about who is the patient and about what needs to heal. And so we talked about in relationship and when we experience conflict and what's going on and that topic was jumping into opposition and opposition comes out of this thing and it's important questions. What is right? I think when we are in conflict or we're having a struggle, you know, trying to figure out what is most important, what is the right thing, what makes sense, what is logical, and, and I think what works. 
I think we live in a culture today that espouses a lot of ideas that sound good, but they don't really work. And to be right, it has to actually work. It has to actually function. And so what is right? And who's the patient? I don't know about you, but when I'm in conflict, I want to be the patient. I want to be taken care of. I want to be soothed. I want to be comforted. I want people to, you know, flex and give. But if I'm honest and I'm, I'm really working through that process, I'm almost always when there's conflict, there's no individual that's the patient. It's usually the relationship, which means everybody has to give. Everybody has to contribute. Everybody has to change. Everybody, because it's not about us. It's about our family or it's about our marriage or it's about, it's about the relationships. Those are more important. And what has to heal? That there are layers and layers to human beings. That sometimes we look at people and go, I wish you would behave better. I wish you would act better. How can you say that? How can you act like that? How can you feel like that? How can you use those words? Well, I don't know if you know this, but we're not all the same. We're not all broken in the same way. What needs to heal in each of us is not the same thing. We don't play on a level playing field. Not everybody brings the same experience to the game. There's people there that have things that they can't see what you see. They can't give what you can give. They can't bring to it because there are things that need to heal. And when we begin to ask these questions, then we are entering into this place in which what we're describing and understanding and searching for is what we value most. And when you start to talk about what you value most, then, then any time you say, I value something, this is important to me, there is cost involved in that. We just had a conversation about running a marathon. I don't know if you know this, but that would be costly. I mean, there would be a cost. If you say, I want to run the marathon, I want to get in shape, there is a cost attached to getting in shape and running a marathon. As much as we don't want it to, to be that way, I still am in favor of whatever that thing is I need to drink before I go to bed at night, and then I can eat anything I want. And it'll melt away the pounds. Anybody else? <laughs> and I've seen it work. It's on Facebook. I mean, it's... <laughs> the people drink it, and it's actually a video of the it just pounds melting away. But value and cost go together. They're deeply and intimately connected. And I grew up somehow in a culture in the church that did not want to attach these two things, value and cost. I wanted to pursue high value and have no cost. I wanted to go after something that was deeply meaningful, cosmically meaningful, and have no cost attached to it. I just wanted God to favor me because I chose that, and I wanted Him to bless me so that because of my choosing, my life was charmed and blessed. And I am shocked and disappointed when I go through struggle, when cost actually reached me, which is fascinating because... Jesus talked openly about cost. He never, ever shied away from a statement to people of going, and by the way, this is going to cost you. And I, I don't think most of us, we, put those, we don't put those verses up in our homes, do we? I mean, you don't walk into somebody's home and run into a plaque that says, in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> that just doesn't look good over the fireplace, does it? just not the vibe we're going for and yet the scripture is so blatantly attentive to it it 
it speaks of it. In fact, there's a real progression of thought when you analyze it a little bit and you begin to think about it. Matthew 16, by the way, I'm not sure why your notes pages uh, might lead you astray on these passages, but uh, they're right on the screen. So we'll figure it out. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So, so immediately Jesus is saying, listen, I just want you to know there's going to be a cost. If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross, which immediately is an image that doesn't inspire warmth. And if you decide to save your life, you'll lose it. And if you decide to lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Now, we hear that, and, and, and the truth is we understand it in a very practical way in other parts of our lives. But when it comes to our spiritual life, for some reason, we don't really apply it in the same way. So if I said to you, you're going to be successful in business, and you just know this. If you're going to be successful in your business, you're going to end up denying yourself. You're going to end up having to, to work when you'd rather play. You're going to have to end up doing some things you don't want to do. You know, if you're going to run your own business, if you're going to be in business, if you're going to be successful, you're going to do things you don't like. Or you're not going to be good at it. And you're going to have to take up your cross. You're going to have to do the work. I don't know about you, but I, I love the movement where we say, if you have a bunch of parts of your job you don't like to do, stop doing them and see if anybody notices. They will. Because it's only the parts of your job you don't like that they really need you to do. <laughs> Amen? And you're going to have to take up your cross. But listen, if you, if you lose your life for these higher values, then you'll find it. But if you decide to give in to the lower values, you'll lose it. And we get that. We get that in every phase of life, but we don't get it in our spirituality. For some reason, we think our spirituality somehow is going to soothe us, but we're called to live out, to jump into kingdom life and kingdom values and kingdom work. And when you jump into kingdom life and kingdom values and kingdom work, listen, there is a cost. We live in a culture that's not crazy about this idea. I, I, I can meet people that are new and, and start up a conversation with them, and I have a tendency to do that, <laughs> start up conversations and... Uh, it's really interesting to me because they treat me normal until they find out what I do for a living. And it's the most abrupt, awkward moment when they say, and what do you do for a living? <laughs> oh, I'm a minister. <laughs> I have heard this so many times. Oh, that's nice. Because <laughs> they have no idea what to say. And this is my impression. My impression is, oh, I, I thought I would have seen you coming. I, I, I figured ministers were so weird, I would have known right away. <laughs> I can't believe we've already talked for a few minutes, and I didn't know that you were super weird. Now I know. <laughs> Anybody else feel that way? When you, when you say to somebody you're a Christian, and they're like, really? You're a what? Wait, wait, wait. You believe in... God, I mean, I kind of believe in something, but you believe like in God, like Judeo-Christian God, like Ten Commandments and stuff? Wow! When you jump into kingdom life and kingdom values and kingdom work, there's a cost to it. 
Not everything goes along. And Jesus says, listen, you just need to be understanding. Five, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Don't you love this? And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I didn't plan this in relationship to the marathon, but there it is. <laughs> if anyone asks you to go one mile, go 26. <laughs> See how effective my preaching is now. We had 246 people sign up. So Jesus then says, listen, if you're going to pursue what's right, then you're going to have to have a better sense of justice than eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And I don't know about you, but it seems to me that I don't like that idea. In fact, I, when I relate that in very practical terms, and I think about my kids or my grandkids, I want to get back exactly what I'm putting in. I want there to be a very close sense that these things are all going to balance out. Amen? And I want that in relationships. I want that in friendships. I don't want to work harder than I'm supposed to. I want them to be... I just, eye for an eye. This is what I like. I like justice. Isn't that a principle of God, justice? And Jesus looks at the crowd and says, listen... As a person who has jumped into kingdom life and kingdom values, then you need to know this. I'm asking more of you than justice. I'm asking for you to give mercy, which is giving people better than they deserve. Now, this detail doesn't work so well in our culture. When they say, if somebody sues you and they want to take your shirt, then give them your coat as well. Well, they don't want my shirt. They want my house. So, so not all of it... But the point is not the specifics. The point is you're to give back better. You're not to wait around and seek justice in every friendship because there is a cost to being a kingdom person. It's called leadership. It's called stepping into space in which we practice a kind of mercy because God has given us better than we deserve. Then we give our children better than they deserve and our friendships better than they deserve and our spouses better than they deserve. Amen? Working hard here. And we're invited into this place. But then it goes even further. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You hear, you hear how that rolls? <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for rightness, for seeking what is higher, for what's more valuable, for what's important, for the higher good, for something that's up here, not down here. Blessed are those who are persecuted because it doesn't matter if you live in the 21st century or the 1st century. The truth of the matter is when you seek to do this, you are sticking your head up. And people will come after you. There is a cost to the kingdom. Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I bet nobody's got that up in their house. Blessed are you when you are insulted. <laughs> Blessed are you when you are insulted. And now it's so personal. It's so personal. Listen, when they attack you personally, 
when it becomes not just about the culture or the world. Uh, it's not just, you know, uh, it's kind of a general. Now it's about you. It's about they said this about you. It's something very personal. And Jesus doesn't, he doesn't pull back from this conversation with his disciples. Listen, there is going to be cost involved in this process. So when we start to think about that, I think what happens to us as we encounter the cost is that there's something that happens to our insides. And you could talk about it in a lot of ways, but maybe the best way to talk about it is just what it looks like in the inner world to be personally broken by the things that happen in life. Elijah, uh, who we find in this story of 1 Kings 19, he's, he's this bigger-than-life prophet. He's raised people from the dead. He's seen miracles after miracles. He hears God speak. God has personally fed and cared for him. And when we left him, he had just completed this moment in which he had overcome all the prophets of Baal. And he had called out Ahab and said, listen, go, go and bring the 450 prophets of Baal that eat at Jezebel's table, and we're going to have a big confrontation. And we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Rick talked last week about the power uh, of the jumping in as uh, Elijah prays for the drought to end and the rain to come. And we, we experience all of the power of God in these massively cosmic ways. And this big confrontation on Mount Carmel and fire falls from heaven. And all the people say, the Lord is God and we'll serve him only. And there's this wonderful moment of victory. And he goes and he prays and, and the rain comes and the power of, of, of being connected to God at this level is just, is just phenomenal. And so Ahab goes back and tells Jezebel what has happened. And Jezebel sends a message. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by the time the sun sets, I have not taken your life. And for whatever reason, this statement from Jezebel completely devastates Elijah. I mean, there's no logic to the flow of this story. There's no connectedness. He's won this incredible battle on Mount Carmel and fire has fallen from heaven and the people have repented. They, 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 they have decided, God, they're going to follow God. And now the drought is coming to an end. The rain is falling and Jezebel sends this message. And, and, and Elijah, we're told, he wanders off. He just wanders off. The fear overwhelms him. And then he says to his servant, stay here. And he walks another day into the wilderness. And he sits down under a, a, a tree and he says, just let me die. And I can't emotionally follow the process. I can't figure out how he got here. And he sits down under the tree and he asks God to let him die. And, and we're told that he goes to sleep. And that he's awakened by an angel. And the angel prepares fresh bread. Not a salad. Fresh bread. Pure carbohydrate. The food of God. And says, you need to eat. You need to sleep. You need to eat. I don't know. There's probably a whole sermon in that. There's probably a whole conversation to be had. And then drink water. I don't know. And we're told that he eats the bread and he drinks the water and he goes back to sleep. And, this, and the angel comes a second time and says, the journey's going to be too great for you. You need to eat and drink again. And he does. And we're told he goes in the strength of that meal for 40 days and 40 nights. And he arrives at the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. And he goes up into a cave. And he, and he wraps himself up and he lays down on the floor of the cave. 
And God says, why are you here, Elijah? And he gives the same speech. He's given the speech already once. Now he gives it again. Well, I have done the work of the Lord, and the people of Israel have not listened, and they've torn down your altars, and they've killed your prophets, and now I'm the only one left, and they are seeking to kill me. And we're told that as he lays in the cave that God says, you know, you wanna, I want you to move to the mouth of the cave because I'm going to pass by. And we're told that a mighty wind comes, but God is not in the wind. And then an earthquake comes, but God is not in the earthquake. And then a fire comes, but God is not in the fire. And then, depending on your translation, a gentle whisper or a still, small voice. And Elijah wraps his mantle around him, goes and stands in the mouth of the cave. And God says, what are you doing here? And they begin to engage together. I, I think when we think about this story, I see five stages of discouragement that I think matter. Five stages of cost, and maybe you're familiar with some of them. The first stage is what I call the personal breaking point stage. The personal breaking point stage. It doesn't always make logical sense we can't always add it up. And it's interesting when you're going into a moment where you're having this personal breaking point, you have people who are always logically trying to tell you why you shouldn't be at the breaking point. But for some reason, our emotions give out. For some reason, something snaps inside of us and we have difficulty. The fears overcome us. The circumstances overcome us. It doesn't matter what's happened before. It doesn't matter how many things might have worked out. At this moment, the personal cost comes to a point when we say, I just don't know how to keep going. I'm broken. I'm overwhelmed. I'm discouraged. I don't have any kind of spiritual insight. I'm not feeling it. I'm not sensing it. I, I don't know where God is. I don't know what he's doing. I've been trying my best. I've been doing what I was asked. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And here's the thing. There's nobody else. It's not, I'm just me. It's just me. I'm all alone in this. I'm all alone in this. I think it's so gracious that God allows this story to be in the scripture. To, to, to look at this person that we would think of as a heroic pro prophet of God, powerful in every way, that, that we're told in this moment that what he's feeling, what's going on inside of him, is that this service to God, this jumping into kingdom life and kingdom value and kingdom work has come to a moment where he says, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out of strength. I'm out of courage. My insides have fallen apart. I am not okay. I'm not okay. And that we sit in this moment with him. If that's the crisis, then the second stage comes, the personal stage of complete discouragement. And the difference between the breaking point and the personal discouragement is the breaking point is a moment in time, but the complete discouragement can last for a while. I, I ran out of gas. I ran out of courage. I ran out of strength. I ran out of spiritual insight. And now I'm in this place of complete discouragement. And I... I don't know what to do. I don't know how to cope with it. I don't know the direction that I need to take. I'm not sure what even is happening inside of me. And so Elijah moves into this place. 
And the thing that's so fascinating to me about this stage is that he tells his story. He's told this story twice now. And as he tells his story, he believes that it's true. And I think this stage of, of complete discouragement has this quality about it. That you and I, if somebody says to you, what's going on in your life? We can tell our story. And we absolutely believe the truth of our story. And in fact, the story is true as far as we know. We don't know yet that Elijah's story is not true. We're not going to find that out for a while. In fact, when he first tells the story, uh, this is what happened to the people of Israel. They're not paying attention. Blah, 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 blah. I'm the only one. And now they're seeking to kill me. We're like, yep, that's what's going on. Yep. Yep. That's how it looks to me too. I've read, this is chapter 19. All 18 chapters led us to the same conclusion. Yep. We don't know yet that that is not at all what's going on, but it's what he believes is going on. And I think when we're in this stage of complete discouragement, if you ask, what is our story? We would say, here's my story, and we believe our story. <laughs> this is exactly, I see it, I get it, I hear it, I'm just, I am just, in fact, some of us are going, it's finally, pastor's finally preaching a sermon about what is true, because this is what I tell my family. <laughs> I tell my family, I, no, you can't be optimistic, you can't have faith, stop it. This is realistic. I'm being realistic. Elijah's being realistic. This is what it is. This is what happened. He believes this story. He believes this is the deep truth about his life and about what's going on around him and about the culture around him and about what God is doing. And he thinks this is the story. And then we reach the third stage, the personal stage of searching for help. Don't you just get tired of being discouraged? I don't know about you, but generally, I, I, when I get discouraged, when I reach the breaking point and I get discouraged, and if you haven't gotten this yet, I reach the breaking point and I get discouraged. And then I start to say, all right, God. And, and you know, what happens is I just get tired of being discouraged. Just like, okay. <sighs> Tell you what, God. How about you show up? Anybody else? Why don't you just send a sign or a verse or here, let me just say, I don't know. Do you do this? I do this. <laughs> In this world, <laughs> you will have trouble. I just get tired of being discouraged. I'm not feeling particularly spiritual. I'm just like, I don't know what else to do. How about, God, you just show up? How about you do something? Because I'm alone here, and I need some help. And Elijah reaches this stage. And at this moment, God sends a mighty wind. And if I'm Elijah, I'm like, about time. Finally, going a little, get some God stuff going on. Thank you. And in these moments of discouragement where we're searching, I don't know how many times there's been a wind blowing, and I'd be like, oh, okay. And then guess what we find out? And God is not in the wind. Oh. Wish the wind had never blown. Wish I'd never gotten my hopes up about that. But how many times in the midst of complete discouragement has the wind blown, and I'm like, okay, good, here we go. <laughs> and then after the wind, there was an earthquake. Well, of course God was not in the wind. He's coming in the earthquake. A wind is lame. Let's shake the whole world. Yeah. 
And when you're in complete discouragement, you're just watching. You're just watching for something. Oh, oh earthquake. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and God is not in the earthquake. And then the fire. Well, of course he's in the fire. I mean, <laughs> I mean wind and earthquake. But fire, how symmetrical. I mean, fire fell from heaven and consumed. I'm like, oh, I'm seeing... Oh, I'm seeing how God is weaving this all together, and it's fire. Fire's the theme. Anybody else do this in discouragement? I'm finding a theme. I'm starting to make sense. I'm getting a message. But God was not in the fire. And then there was a gentle whisper. And I think when... When I read that part of the story, I begin to understand and question, which, by the way, is stage four, the personal stage of God's whisper. And I wonder at this moment, has God always been whispering to Elijah, but his fear was too loud to hear, and his own personal self-pity was too loud, and his own brokenness was too loud? Has God always been whispering to Elijah, but he just wasn't in a place where he could hear the whisper, but after the discouragement of his life, and then after the discouragement that he wasn't in the wind and he wasn't in the earthquake, it just feels like God's just fine-tuning, you know? Nope, not there. Nope, nope. You got to tune in. Shh. Okay. Shh. All right. No, you're still fighting. Shh. Okay. And in this moment of this stage of the gentle whisper, what does God say to Elijah? What is wrong with you? You are a messed up piece of human flesh. I have no idea why I created you. Some of you are going, I, I'm going to check. <laughs> don't remember that. No, he doesn't. He says, Elijah, why are you here? Tell me what is happening to you. Before, he, before anything else happens, at stage four, the stage of the gentle whisper, he says, why don't you just get it out? And Elijah does. It's the same thing. He says the same thing again. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Life is terrible. And I'm, just, I'm all by myself. And everybody, now I'm just afraid. They're coming after me. And, uh. and God just lets him get it out. Because that is the nature of the gentle whisper of God is to say, okay, what's going on with you? What's happening? I, I, I wonder how healing it would be in our lives if we had a few people who, when we were in moments of discouragement, didn't tell us or advise us or give, by the way, have you read the book of Job? Didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> if they just said, I just want to know what's happening to you. I just want to hear I'm not critiquing or correcting. I'm not saying, well, if you had a little faith in God, well, you know what we should do? We should pray. How about we fast and pray? Instead, you just said, you know what? There's another stage coming. We're not going to live here forever. <laughs> but right here at the stage of the gentle voice, the gentle whisper, what's happening to you? What's going on with you? What does it feel like to be you? And instead of correcting and saying, just go, yeah, that must be hard. I can see how you see that. <laughs> I can see how it feels that way. And God listens 
to what Elijah has to say as he pours out his broken heart. But he doesn't leave him there. He moves him on to the final stage in the process that I observe. And that is, I want to say it exactly right, the personal stage of seeing a way forward. That at the end of this journey of the breaking point and complete discouragement and searching for God and the gentle whisper, God says, okay, I've heard what you have to say. I've heard how it looks to you. Now let me tell you some things. The fact is, I'm going to send you down to Aram to anoint a new king, and that king will serve me. Listen, you thought you were all alone, but I've got kings and kingdoms arranged. And I want you to go down to Israel, and I want you to anoint a king there. And I want you to know this. There are 7,000 prophets who have not bowed their knee to Baal. You're not alone. You're not even close to alone. I didn't say there were four, and I didn't say there were 10, and I didn't say there were 25, all of which would completely blow your theory out of the water that you're all alone. But there are 7,000. It is so much better than you think it is. It is not what you believe to be true about your life and about your journey and about the world. In fact... I have a way forward, and I'm going to not only have you anoint the king of Aram, and I'm not only going to have you anoint the king of Israel, but I'm going to send you to a person named Elisha because I'm going to get you a little help. (laughs) And oh, by the way, I got a retirement plan in mind for you that you cannot begin to imagine. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're just discouraged. You are just experiencing the reality of the cost of jumping into kingdom life and kingdom values and kingdom work. Don't give up. Don't give up. So this morning, the question I would ask you is, how are you? Are you somewhere along that line in that first, are you surprised that you're discouraged? Are you surprised that there's a cost? Are you surprised at the cost? Because there is a cost. There is a cost. We're, we're new grandparents for the third time. I know that's exciting news. Just politely clap for the pastor. He has a new grandson. It's very, very, that was a D minus. Very, very subdued in relationship to the beauty of my grandson. Just very, very, very subdued. You know, but I, it's very fascinating because, you know, this is for our third daughter. This is the first child. And so we're at about six weeks into the process. They're at that stage where they are shocked at what it takes to be parents of a new baby. (laughs) And as parents, we're delighted. We're like, oh, yeah, it ain't no joke. See that beautiful bundle? Very costly. (laughs) Particularly to your personal sleep. But you will sleep again. Thank you. But you will sleep again. They'll go to college one day. (laughs) You hope. You'll think, yeah, they're safe in the dorm. I don't have to worry about them. But isn't that kind of what it's like to be a Christian? You know, I mean, we look at each other and go, can you believe we haven't slept in four days? 
I mean, can you believe the costs attached to trying to do the right thing? We have these conversations, don't we? I mean, have you read Psalms? Why does everybody else seem to prosper? But us people trying to do the right thing, we're just getting beaten down all the time. We just get discouraged and beaten in. In this world, you will have trouble. But that's not the end of the verse. But be of good cheer. Cost is a part of the process. It's just stages. You're not going to live in this stage forever. You're not going to be at the breaking point forever. You're not going to be in complete discouragement forever. I hope you're always in the place of searching. But something about the place of discouragement makes us desperate to search. We're serious about our searching now. At some point, the gentle whisper of God is going to listen to your heart and you will wrap yourself up and you will speak and God will begin to unravel. And it might not be the wind and it might not be the earthquake and it might not be the fire, but God will speak and he will make a way forward. And you can trust that because that is the final word. In this world, you will have trouble, but... Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God, would you help us? As we think about our own journey and our own life and the cost of jumping into kingdom life and kingdom value and kingdom work, would you help us? If there are some here that are joining on live stream, some in this room that are just been in the middle of discouragement, reached the breaking point, even though we can hear stories about other people who see their lives as true, but it turns out there's more going on than meets the eye, it's still hard for us to see it in our own lives. All we can do is ask you and beg you and, 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 and plead that you would come and in that gentle whisper you would speak to us in a definitive way, in a way in which we could hold on to it. We wish so often you were in the wind. We... We can see it and feel that. Or the earthquake, we wouldn't mistake that. Or the fire. But the gentle whisper is so hard for us to discern. It's so hard for us to rest in it. But we just want you to know we're listening. We're quieting the fears and we're quieting the discouragement. We're quieting our own opinions and perspectives and we're listening and we're trusting that there's a way forward so as we respond to your word and we sing these words I surrender all I pray that you do work in our hearts maybe there are some here that need to find a prayer counselor just know around this room there are people that can pray. God, would you do your work in us? Would you have your will? Would you teach us what it means to jump in even in the midst of the cost? Hear our prayers and hear our hearts. Intend us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Amen. Will you stand as we respond? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.